Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If this podcast has encouraged you in any way, we'd like to ask you to leave a review for Truth Wars on whichever platform you listen on. Now, here's Olin. Okay, somebody who sets an example. That's very good. All right, anybody else want to give another definition of leadership? That's a really good one. What's that? Okay, serving others. All right, that's good. You get extra points. That's kind of biblical. All right, so... Uh, anybody else got one? Okay, there's an author named John Maxwell, and he kind of gives a very simple, because there's only one word, definition of leadership. He said it's influence. Influencing other people, right? And you can influence people by serving them. You can influence them by setting example. And that, that's, that's helpful, if for no other reason. I think it's true, but it's very simple. So if you want to think about the greatest leader, it would be like, well, then who has the most influence? Who influences the most people? Who influences the most people for the longest amount of time? Who influences the most people in the most powerful way? You might say, who influences the most people for the longest amount of time? Right? And you can probably guess where I'm going with this, right? Because this is Broadwood Christian School Retreat, okay? Who's the greatest leader of all time? Jesus. Okay, when in doubt, the answer is always Jesus. Okay, now, listen. Uh, so we are. If you have a Bible and you, you want to follow along, you can. You don't have to if you don't want to pull up your Bible. But if you have a Bible, you want to look along. Luke chapter 1, that's where we're going to be. But let me just say this. I realize that just because you go to Broadway Christian School doesn't mean you're a Christian. There's probably some of you like, I'm not even sure I believe the Bible. I'm not even sure I believe uh, in Jesus as, you know, the Son of God and all that He claims to be. But let me just say this. Even if you say, I'm not sure Jesus is the Son of God, or I'm sure He's not the Son of God. Okay. Um, he certainly is one of, if not the, greatest human leaders to ever live, Right? I mean, virtually no one would dispute that roughly 2,000 years ago in Israel there was a man that lived named Jesus Christ, a Jewish man, uh, who was a teacher, a philosopher, maybe even a prophet, maybe even a miracle worker. He had some followers, and after his death, the whole religion rose up around him, and roughly 2 billion people today still worship this guy, follow his teachings. That's leadership. That's influence, right? At a very broad level, at a very deep level, at an exponential level. Okay, so we're going to look at Jesus today and try to glean from his life what can we learn about him as a leader. Now, again, some of you may say, I'm not sure I'm into this whole Christianity thing. And, you know, I come here, there's a lot of love about Briarwood. Sometimes I feel like the Bible gets shoved down my throat. Um, I would say this, okay, I can... I do. I work for Broward. I'm a pastor. I do believe the Bible is the Word of God. I do believe Jesus is the Son of God. But I'll say this. Even if you're not sure the Bible is that trustworthy, the Word of God, I just say this. At minimum, you ought to take the Bible like a really good, trustworthy history book. Right? Okay? If you have history classes. And I'm sure when you read whatever history book you're reading for U.S. history, world history, you're not like, this history book is the Word of God. But in general... You probably think, okay, it's, it's fairly trustworthy. I'm going to read it. I'm going to believe what it says. I'm not saying you never question it. I'm saying you ought to at least take the Bible at least with that much validity. And here's the reason why. Uh, because some people will try to say, well, you know, the Bible is just a myth. It's kind of a fairy tale. It's a fable. Maybe it has some good moral lessons. But here's the thing. Uh, listen to how just the Gospel of Luke, Luke's story of the account of the life of Jesus starts out. This is Luke chapter 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word 
have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theopolis, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now you hear what he's saying there? Okay, uh, Fairies, fables, legends, they don't start that way. Right? We know the way that fairy tales start, or legends, or myths. They start like this. Uh, Once upon a time in the land of Oz, there lived a wizard or something. Once upon a time in the Shire, you know, Gandalf came to talk to the friendly hobbit. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far. That's not where the Bible starts. I mean, the Bible, this guy says, listen, I've been studying. I've been talking to eyewitnesses. I've been trying to get all this stuff together so that you could really understand what you're saying you believe. And he's writing to this Roman official. Now, we're going to look at just one story about Jesus. It's very interesting. Probably a lot of you already know this, okay? In the whole history of the Bible, in all the different accounts of the life of Jesus, we get some stuff about when he was born, maybe one little story when he was two years old. We get a lot of story when he was a full-time minister from age 30 to about age 33. We get a lot about his death, resurrection. But we only get one story in between when he was age 2 and age 30. And that's what we're going to look at, okay? It's when he was about age 12, 12 to 13. So he was maybe a little bit younger than you, but the same stage of life. Because in the Jewish world, especially back then, you were treated like a child up until about age 12. Certainly this was true for the boys. And then from age 12 to age 13 was like a transition year. And at age 13, you were basically treated like a man. That level of responsibility. Okay? So we're looking at Jesus, this story that we're given. And at part of here's what, what I want us to do kind of together today. I want us to think about, again, whether you believe Jesus is God or not. Just as a human being, what was Jesus Christ doing in essentially his teenage years where you're living that helped him become the greatest leader of all time? What can we learn from his life that we can do as well that might help us become better leaders? Okay, so this is Luke chapter 2. If you want to follow along, we'll start in verse 40. And the child, speaking of Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So he's a little child, but he's growing up. He's getting physically bigger and stronger, okay, working in the carpenter shop with his daddy. He's getting smarter. It's filled with wisdom. But also it's like God is smiling upon him. He's blessing his life. There's spiritual maturity and depth there. Now, verse 41, here's the story. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. Now, we know we won't take time, but his parents were poor. But back then, devout Jews, there were three feasts where they were supposed to go up to the holy city of Jerusalem. But a lot of the families were so poor, they couldn't go there three times a year. So they would just go once a year, and they usually go for Passover. So he's in a devout family. I mean, they were a family that took God, the Bible, religion, all that stuff very serious. They go up to this big feast. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. You'd think, man, they must have been terrible parents. They literally had the Son of God with them, and they lost him. It's not a good thing to do, okay? But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Now, just let me pause and explain a little bit of the context. So we can say, man, Mary and Joseph always thought they were pretty good parents. They sound like terrible parents. They lost Jesus. How'd they do that? 
Remember, this was the year of transition. And the way these big caravans would travel back then, a lot of times, is the women and the children might be in the back, and the men might all be in the front. Well, this is the year of transition for Jesus. He's been used to hanging out with mommy and all the other kids. But now he's becoming a man. So if he wanted to, he could go hang out with daddy. But it was kind of his option because it's the year of transition. So almost certainly Mary's thinking, Jesus must be up front with his daddy somewhere. Joseph is thinking, Jesus must be in the back with mom somewhere. That's what he's always done. And they get about a day's journey outside of the city of Jerusalem. They stop for camp. And he's like, hey, what's Jesus been doing? I don't know. thought he was with you. And it's like, oh no, this is bad. Takes them a whole day to get back. They search the whole city for years, a big city. They finally find him. And just kind of pause, side note from How many of you, when you were younger, ever got lost from your parents? Anybody ever had that experience? Okay. I had that experience one time. I was young. We went to Disney World. At some point, we stopped to get a snack. And, uh, you know, there were a bunch of pigeons. Somebody was feeding the pigeons. And I decided I'm going to run and catch a pigeon. You ever do stupid stuff like that when you were a little kid? So I just get up, dart out in the crowd trying to catch a pigeon. I did not catch a pigeon. I was not very fast. And uh, then I turned around, and lo and behold, my family's gone. And I just start crying. I lose it, and some stranger comes along and helps me find my parents. And, you know, the end. Nice story. But here's the point. Why did I get lost from my parents? Because I was chasing pigeons. I mean, that sounds like what a stupid little kid does. Why did Jesus get lost from his parents? Because he wanted to hang out at church longer and ask questions. That's not where most of us are living, right? I mean, even, don't have to do a show of hands on this one, okay? But I remember when I was a little kid and used to go to church, and as soon as church was over, right, your parents are like talking to people. You're like, Mom and Dad, please don't talk to anybody. I just want to go to the car. I just want to go eat. You know, somebody's like, just give me the keys, Dad. Let me go sit in the car and wait on you. Can we get them? I mean, this has been so long and so boring. Can we please leave? Don't stretch it out. Not Jesus. He hangs around. There's something different about this kid. Okay? Verse 47. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Makes sense. And his mother said to him, see if this doesn't sound like what your mom might say to you if you'd gotten lost for three days. Son, why have you treated us this way? She takes it very personal. Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now remember, this is, this is a little strange for us. This is not Jesus being disrespectful. What Christians at least believe is that Jesus is 100% God but he's also 100% man. So in some sense, God is trapped, if you can say that respectfully, in a 12-year-old body and a 12-year-old mind. He's not being disrespectful. He's just like, hey, where did you expect to find me? God's my father. I'm at my dad's house. This should be obvious, Mom. He's just kind of speaking the truth as he sees it. Verse 50, And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So he goes home. He's a little boy. All that we know he does for the rest until he's 30 and becomes a minister is he's just a, a good son, a good family member, a carpenter. Now, three quick points for you. All right? The first one, I mean, what, what does it take to become a great leader? What should you be doing in your teenage years to become a great leader, the first one is increasing. Did you notice that? It says at the beginning of the passage, it says at the end, that Jesus is growing. He's increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with man. 
You may be the best leader in this room. Maybe you're the president of the whole SGA. You're already a great leader for a high schooler. Okay, good on you. Right. But part of what it means to be a great leader is you're never sinfully content. You're never sinfully satisfied. You're never saying, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. I've made enough progress. There's a hunger. There's a desire. You're always seeking to increase. And really in every area of your life, you're trying to grow. You're trying to mature. You're trying to develop. Again, Jesus Christ, the Son of God in His humanity was growing. If He needed to be growing, so do we. Again, even if you're like, I'm not sure He's the Son of God. Fine. The greatest leader of all time. And He was always growing. If He needed to be growing, so do we. Okay? The second thing is understanding. Notice what it says when they came to the temple and they find Him there. All who heard Him were amazed at His understanding and His answers. He's sitting in the temple with all these teachers and these priests and these scholars and these scribes. He's asking them questions. He's listening and He's understanding. They're shocked with the questions He's asking. How insightful He is. Now listen, anytime in your young life when you get around somebody, whether that's a youth group leader, a pastor, a parent, or a teacher, okay, and I know that we won't do this, okay? But I bet we could all say, I got one teacher I don't like. You know, maybe I got two teachers I don't respect. Maybe I got three teachers I really hate. Maybe you got four teachers you're like, they're morons. I think I could do a better job, all right? Hopefully you got at least one teacher where you're like, this teacher actually seems like they know something. I know it's not cool to act like you actually enjoy school, but this teacher actually seems like they've got some wisdom, they've got some insight. Be like Jesus. Ask questions. Listen. Interact. So, be like a sponge and soak it up so that you can develop in your understanding. I mean, have you heard the phrase before, before you can be a great leader, you've got to be a great follower? There's a lot of truth in that. The greatest man to ever live is there interacting, asking questions, listening, soaking it up, increasing, growing in his understanding. But then... Look at what it says, the very last phrase in verse 51. It's speaking of Mary now, and it says, And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And what I realized, because I remember when I was in high school, is a lot of times you might be learning stuff, and you're kind of like, this is kind of interesting. And specifically, I mean, this can apply to any realm of knowledge, but specifically with biblical knowledge. A lot of times you're listening to biblical knowledge at school, in chapel, at church, whatever, and there might be a part of you like, you know what, I know this stuff is true. Or maybe, I'm not 100% sure it's true, but some of this kind of resonates and it seems true, even if I don't like it. It seems accurate. And maybe you're like, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. I don't, I, but I don't, how does it apply in my life today as a teenage guy and girl? And what I'd say is, treasure it up. Store it up. I'm not saying life is easy in high school. I realize that life can be very hard and awkward in high school. My wife and I were talking the other night, and we were both saying, you know what, I don't ever want to go back to high school. Had a lot of fun in high school, a lot of hardship in high school. Don't want to go back. But I will let you in on a little secret. In general, and ask other adults this, life's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. It's going to get more complex. And so as you are increasing, growing in your understanding, treasure this stuff up, hide it in your heart, store it up, meditate on it, think on it, so that you'll be prepared for the later trials that come later in life. Now, 
One last thought. This is kind of like a little extra bonus thought. Okay, in, in one sense, this is the really the main thought. So if you've tuned me out till now, tune back in. Here's the good part, okay? They don't even understand him. Isn't that weird? I mean, did, what? Y'all have all heard the Christmas story, right? Mary and Joseph both got like angels. You're going to have this supernatural person in your belly, Mary. And it says they didn't really know who he was. They, at some level, they thought he was going to be like another David, maybe another Samson, some great Jewish deliverer. But they didn't really fully understand that Jesus, their own son, was fully God, fully man. They didn't get it. And there was an ignorance there. But Jesus had the humility when they said, we're still your parents, even though we fully don't understand what you're talking about. Come home with us. It says, he went down and he was in subjection to them. He humbled himself. Go back just a minute ago, right? I'm saying probably all of you have at least one teacher that for whatever reason, you don't like him, you don't respect him, you don't try whatever. There is a humility to submit yourselves to the authorities that God puts you under. Whether that's at school, whether that's your parents. And you may say, i got a problem with parents. Okay, I get that. And listen, can there be some radical extreme example of if you have a terrible authority who's abusive and you should you know, go tell the police or something? Yes, 100%. But I'm talking about just normal everyday life with normal everyday authority that's not perfect. Just somebody that's trying their best, but maybe they're just not that good at being a parent or good at being a teacher. There ought to be a humility that says, I submit to them. Now, immediately in all of our minds, there might be like a little hand kind of going up and saying, well, you don't know what I'm dealing with, with this person or that person or this authority in my life. And it's painful and it hurts and I disagree and I don't get it at all. But you see, part of what was going on here in the life of Jesus, and Mary and Joseph in general were good parents, weren't perfect, obviously, but they were good. Jesus going and being willing to humble himself and subject himself to parents that were more ignorant than he was, right? Especially if he's God. Why would God the Father make a plan where Jesus had to do that? Partially, he was preparing Jesus for what was to come later. That you fast forward about 20 years in Jesus' life, and the Father was going to say, hey, I'm asking you to humble yourself again. I'm asking you to subject yourself again to authorities, to rulers, who this time, they really are bad. They really are wicked. They really are abusive. I mean, the Roman government, the Jewish leaders that hated Jesus and they wanted to crucify Him because that was God's plan. And it was a lot more painful then for Jesus, a lot more suffering then. But if we believe what the Bible teaches... All of our hope, all of our joy, all of our real satisfaction in life, our salvation flows out of Jesus' willingness to humble Himself on the cross and take the price for our sin. So just last thought and we'll be done. Again, even if you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, maybe the greatest thing that all of us can learn from the life of Jesus is this. His humility. His willing to humble himself. His willing to put himself others. I mean, somebody said at the very beginning, 
What's the definition of a great leader? Somebody who's willing to serve somebody else. One of the most famous things Jesus ever said is, greater love has no one than this, but that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Real leadership is about service. And to really serve people, you've got to have humility. You've got to be willing to lay down your life. I mean, Jesus did that literally. And if we can look at him and, and see, there's almost something spiritually attractive, beautiful, about the humility of Jesus, the lowliness of Jesus, his willingness to sacrifice and serve us to the degree that we kind of admire him, even maybe go as far to worship him. We get transformed. We get made a little bit more like Him. And it becomes more easy and more natural for us to humble ourselves, serve others. And that's the real key to being a leader, having influence. Okay, let me pray for us. Lord, we love You. I pray for everybody here, myself included. Father, I pray for anyone here that doesn't truly know You, truly trust in You, that You would have mercy on them and draw them to Yourself. And Lord, I pray for all of us that do trust in You as our Savior, that You would continue to have mercy on us because we got a lot of sin still in our lives. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for Your great sacrifice to die for us. I do pray that we would think about Your humility, the way that You have served us by literally laying down Your life. And it would humble us, and it would change us, and it would transform us, and it would make us into greater servant leaders. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If you have any questions for Olin, please email him at olin.stubbs at campusoutreach.org.